Welcome to the Net Group Investments podcast channel, a collection of conversations where we share a variety of views and insights that investors care about. From market updates and investment fundamentals to investor behavior and even the latest book recommendations, this is a space to stay informed and interested in your financial world. I'm Tibisha Greater. In his recent message to investors, Nick Andrew, executive head of Netgroup Investments, deep dives into the 2022 budget speech by Finance Minister Inokho Dokwana and points out two very important sentences in what many commentators described as a boring budget speech. It is my pleasure to have Nick on the podcast to tell us why the speech was far from boring and to further elaborate on the unexpected and surprising change in the speech. Welcome, Nick. Thanks to me. It's great to be here again. Nick, each quarter, investors receive a message from you with insightful knowledge and often it comes with quotes and references from a book that has inspired you. But this time around, it's different. Can you tell us what we're focusing on today and why you felt that this was so important to share? Yes, our topic for this quarter is slightly more technical one and is about a specific detail in the 2022 budget speech which many commentators described shortly afterwards as boring or unsurprising. However, there were two sentences hidden deep in Annex F that didn't even make the main speech. And their contents, I think, were very surprising and far from boring. And those two sentences were, the offshore limit for all insurance, retirement and savings funds is harmonized at 45% inclusive of the 10% African allowance. The previous limits were set at 30 and 40% for different investors. Now, very few investors had actually used their 10% African allowance. So for most, this actually provided the opportunity to increase their offshore portion by 50%, from 30 to 45%, which is very material. And if you consider all the pre-budget negative comments from social media and from the chattering classes around prescribed assets and tax increases, this is actually a very bold and positive move, which provides investors with much greater investment choice and freedom. It also sends a strong message that exchange controls for individuals are for all intents and purposes no longer a meaningful constraint. So these two sentences, which took the industry largely by surprise, really do have material implications for individual investors, for trustees, financial advisors, discretionary fund managers, asset managers, who all need to carefully consider the implications. Mm-hmm. So this was quite a significant um, move. Um, Nick, you also mentioned that the biggest benefit of increasing this offshore exposure is access to a greater opportunity set and the ability to uh, diversify more effectively. Now, what does this mean for the South African investor? Yes, I think the domestic market is relatively small with about 140 equity stocks, which creates a whole lot of stock and sector concentration risk. In contrast, the global market is made up of over 9,000 stocks spread across regions, currencies, and sectors. I saw some research that Willis Towers Watson did around various pension funds, and most South Africans have about 65% of their funds invested in domestic assets. Now, if you compare this to South Africa's weight in global indices, which is about half a percent, that ratio of 65 to 0.5%, which is around about 130, is amongst one of the highest of any market in terms of a home bias. 
And I think all of us know the known political, regional, currency risks South Africans are exposed to. So it would seem sensible to manage this home bias in a certain manner. The counter to this argument, though, is that most South African investors have future RAND liabilities. So we all need to pay future education for our children, our medical bills. We need to pay for food and rates in RANDs, so therefore need to be cognizant of currency moves and the inherent volatility of the RAND, that impact that it has on our savings. What our investment team did is they modeled over a long period, actually about 100 years, asset class returns of portfolios with varying levels of offshore allocation to measure the return and risk characteristics in different environments and over different measurement periods. And the conclusion really was that the optimal strategic percentage depended largely on one's time frame and whether you were in a contributing, that means a pre-retirement phase, or a withdrawing post-retirement phase. And for those with longer periods, so that's before retirement, the optimal portfolio was somewhere between 40 to 50% offshore. While for those with shorter time frames, where they required the money in a shorter period, the optimal portfolio was somewhere between 25 and 30%. For those with very long time frames, so that's multi-generational, the optimal portfolio, they can take more currency risk. The optimal portfolio sits somewhere above 50% invested outside South Africa. Oh, Nick, you've explained that very well, but you've also pointed out several implications that stem from this offshore change. Now, in summary, what are the most, say, fundamental implications that investment managers should be considering? Well, I think once you've decided what your optimal strategic asset allocation is for your specific investment objective, it's very important then also to consider when you do it and at what pace you implement the change. And that's specifically because this is a material single change, so timing can be very important. Part of that is a consideration is to assess the current relative valuations of both the currency and both local and foreign asset classes. So if we look at the RAND, despite all the well-publicized financial woes, the credit downgradings of last year, the announcement of this relaxation, which has been a relatively big thing and potentially means there'll be quite large capital outflows, the RAND's actually been relatively robust, strengthening a quarter of its COVID lows and in line with where it traded six years ago. So in many ways, it may seem like a reasonable time to increase your offshore exposure because the RAND has been relatively strong. But on the other hand, South African assets, such as bonds and equities, actually look cheap in comparison to many of their developed market peers. So for example, real yields, which are just the nominal yield, less inflation, in the US are now negative 5%, with the latest inflation printed around 8%. While in South Africa, they're closer to positive 5%. Now, while that extent of that gap is likely to be temporary, that difference is really, really extreme. Similarly, if you look at PE ratios, which is price-earnings ratios, as a crude valuation measure, U.S. stocks, even after the recent pullback, are expensive on a historical basis and relative to South African stocks, who they have a PE in the mid-20s, almost double that of the South African market. And it's because both the bonds and equity in South Africa look like reasonable value 
that many South African fund managers, including a number of our best of breed managers, have indicated that they will not immediately make use of the full allowance as they see greater current opportunity in South African assets. That's very true. That's something that we certainly have been hearing, that they are you know, taking a more gradual approach to this. Um, while it does sound like it's imperative to ensure that you know, one has the necessary knowledge on how to access offshore exposure, Nick, can you briefly explain how investors will access this change to offshore exposure? Yeah, sure. I think there are two main ways. I think for most investors, many are invested in multi-asset regulation 28 funds. And that's actually the largest categories in the industry. And there, the decision on both the amount to go offshore and the timing of when one will do it are the responsibility of the fund manager. And so I think it's very important for advisors and clients to get absolute clarity on what their fund manager is thinking and what their plans are, both in the short and the long term. For others who make the asset allocation decision themselves and that invest via asset class building blocks, such as an equity fixed interest, and they do that separately, they are going to need to make this decision themselves. And most investors in those cases will access the increased offshore portion via feeder funds as they are available on most list platforms and they're much less administratively complex than investing directly offshore. Oh, thank you so much for that, Nick. I know we haven't touched on everything and there is certainly more to unpack uh, in your message. But of course, due to time constraints, we won't be able to go into everything. Do you have any final words for us, perhaps? Yes, I think, as you know, Ned Group Investments has for some years, we've really focused on developing a comprehensive global range of outstanding, independent, best of breed managers based around the world. All of these are owner-managed businesses that have demonstrated remarkable track records over many decades and many market cycles. We're also fortunate, which is an important consideration because not many of our competitors do not have this, is we have sufficient asset swap capacity. So we can offer this best-of-breed international range both via our feeder funds and our Dublin-based usage vehicles. To provide investors and advisors with sufficient material to make informed decisions on these important changes, we're running things like this podcast. We've run several webinars, which are available on our website and on our social media channels, and we'll run more in the months to come. And I, I really do hope to me that this podcast and the information that we've provided helps our clients in making decisions that guide them towards optimally meeting their investment goals. Well, Nick, uh, I think that certainly is the case. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and shining a light on important information that we all need to know regarding our investments. We always look forward to these sessions because they leave us feeling empowered. Now, for listeners who are interested in reading more about this topic, make sure you visit the Net Group Investments website under the Insights tab. Ned Group Collective Investments is an authorised Collective Investments Scheme Manager in terms of the Collective Investments Schemes Control Act. Ned Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit nedgroupinvestments.co.za. Ned Group Investments. See money differently.